0: Go to Shopify.com slash Sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Sonoro.
1: With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. (laughs) ConstantContact.com.
2: It's a crowd of 300 Palestinians. So I walk in on stage and I look at him and I tell him, Habibi, relax. I'm only here for seven minutes, not 70 years. The political situation here is very devastating. It's stuck, it's very hard to talk about peace. Through comedy and performance, you can reach more audiences and diverse audiences and audiences that maybe I would have never met.
3: I like to play with stereotypes. I like to unpick them. I like to upend them. I like to use them.
4: Often the stereotype you're breaking is from the gaze of the person who thinks you're breaking it. Comedy can do more than make us laugh.
5: It can make us think. And it can reveal what we're thinking and not saying. It can make us examine ourselves and the world we live in. It can disrupt power and be an agent of change. Because when we're allowed to laugh at something, it can create a safe space to think about it, talk about it, and hopefully help us understand it. Comedy can do all of these things because the best comedy often comes
6: from very disconcerting places, uncomfortable places, from the experience of being shunned or othered or oppressed or repressed. Some of the most brilliant and insightful comedy has been birthed in those very dark places. And in this episode of the Global Goals cast, we're going to visit some of those places while still managing to do some laughing along the way. And that's with three badass, biased, busting bitchin' women who've turned their experiences as outsiders into comedy that does more than make us laugh.
4: I think it gives me a natural skill in viewing both my own life and the interaction of my life with the wider world as an outsider, which is really where jokes live. Mm -hmm. Jokes live in that space between seeing something as familiar and knowing that there's parts of it that are... It's being able to capture what's universal in a very unique way that people haven't thought about before. And that's really an outsider's gaze.
5: Welcome to the Global Goalscast, the podcast that explores how can we change the world. I am Claudia Romo-Edelman.
6: And I'm Edie Lash. Claudia, this episode, we're going to look at how comedy helps us bridge the gaps between us. In other words, we're going to take on a serious issue, intolerance, from what I guess you would call a
5: funny angle. But I'm uh, Stick to podcasting, Eddie.
6: Oh, okay. All right. We're gonna have some real comics for you right after this. No more jokes
5: from me. Maybe Season 2 of the Global Goldcast is sponsored by MasterCard. Stay tuned later for an interview with MasterCard's Vice Chair and Kerrence as she tells us about how she broke stereotypes herself as the first female engineer on an oil rig in the North Sea. Also our thanks to CBS
6: News Digital and to Harmon, the official sound of Global (laughs) Goalscast.
2: One of the places that comedy has brought me is to be the first Jewish performer in a Palestinian comedy festival and there were like two guys who were sitting in the front row and they were like looking at me like what is this Jew gonna tell us you know so I walk on stage and I'm thinking how am I gonna break the ice like what it's a crowd of 300 Palestinians so I walk in on stage and I look at him and I tell him Habibi relax I'm only here for seven minutes not 70 years (laughs) thank you
6: That was Noam Schuster, one of the three comics whose work and ideas we're going to share with you today on the Global Goals Cast. Noam is Israeli.
2: I'm, 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 I'm Jewish, I'm, I'm mixed actually. My father is a Romanian Jew. When I went to Romania to look for my roots, I found out I'm a well-dressed gypsy. I re- yeah, and my mother actually, uh, she was born in Iran. She's an Iranian Jew. She has eight brothers and sisters. We call them the Muslim Brotherhood. And My, my, uh, my household is really like uh, 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 the two cultures together. And on top of that, my parents are these open-minded liberals, which is really hard these days in Israel. You know, I care about the political causes, but I'm 31 and I'm single, so I go to demonstrations mainly to look for a date. You know? and, no, and when I go
7: to, the, to, when I go to <laughs> demonstrations,
2: the problem is that the only people who actually look like they've taken a shower is the police officers.
6: <laughs> that was Noam winning Jewish Comedian of the Year in London earlier this year. And despite the jokes, Noam is a very serious activist. Of the three comics that we met, she walks most squarely into an
5: ongoing political struggle. She does not shy away from it. In fact, she became a comic after failing to bridge the Israeli-Palestinian divide in a more traditional diplomatic way, as co-director at Interpeace, an organization founded by the UN that worked with populations that were excluded from traditional discussions of peace.
2: I'm not the first one probably to tell you the political situation here is very devastating. It's stuck, it's very hard to talk about peace. It's very hard to be a peace activist. It's hard to even say the word peace here. I took a role upon myself here to work with the hardliners in society, you know, right-wing people who are not the usual kind of peacemakers. After years, you know, I felt like I'm not influencing anyone and I felt like I'm not able to see tangible uh, achievements and um, progress. And basically I was fired (laughs) also. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the turn to comedy was an action for me to, A, stop censoring myself, B, uh, bringing back my creative muscle to the game. Also me knowing that through comedy and performance, you can reach more audiences and diverse audiences and audiences that maybe I would have never met. Israel and Palestine, it's a small territory and we move between contradicting narratives and communities and places all the time. And because I speak Arabic, because I have so many contradicting identities within me that I bring into the comedy, so I'm able to navigate and to walk in between all of these audiences and these identities in hope that what i was not able to do in an organization set or a political set i will be able to do a little bit through the laughter and the performance in front of people it is always just amazing to see how people can really laugh when you're so exposed and you talk about the most painful parts of yourself. But people also laugh about (laughs) funny stuff and ridiculous stuff and empowering stuff and nasty stuff.
6: And that gets into why we're doing an episode on comedy, Claudia. By talking about the more painful parts of ourselves, by laughing at the pain, we can better understand each other. Because if we don't understand each other, we won't ever achieve the global goals, let alone by
5: 2030. Whether it's gender equity goal 5, or climate action goal 13, or peace and justice 16, if we are going to accomplish the global goals, we need to do it together. And sometimes for Noam, just being who she is, doing what she does, can help people come together and
2: begin to understand each other, sharing a laugh. I have a comedy show with another female comedian who comes from a more religious right-wing background. And when we have shows, they're always sold out. And we basically bring into one auditorium our audience, which come from such different sectors of society, right-wing and left-wing people. And then we're bringing together religious and secular and Arabs and Jews. And they both sit down and they hear two women and Just having two women in a comedy show here is already revolutionary enough because there are so many male comedians here. Every comedy night that I go and perform, there's always like eight or nine men and maybe there is another woman besides me.
6: Noam is doing some special things with her work on stage and her new career is just getting started. I asked her what she's learned so far as a comedian that she wished she had known as
2: a peace activist not to take things so seriously, to be freer, to say what the hell is on my mind, not to censor myself. It's not an easy place to be in, to be a woman here with this mixed background and to talk about these issues. It's not perfect all the time and I'm not funny all the time and I'm just learning the first steps in this crazy world, but I just feel like right now, this is the most effective tool that is available to me in order to be heard.
6: Thanks to our partner One Young World for introducing us to Noam Schuster. One Young
5: World just keeps introducing us to the most amazing (laughs) people ever. I know, it's just amazing. Great stories. (laughs) Catherine Bohart is pulling from some slightly different life experience than Noam. Catherine is from Ireland and she is Catholic. In fact, her father is a deacon. On stage, Catherine brings the audience inside of her obsessive compulsive disorder, talks about what it's like growing up in a religious family, and also she shares her experience as a bisexual woman living in a world that can be, well, less than understanding sometimes.
3: The first person I ever came out to was my mother and I was really nervous but now I don't mind coming out because I'm used to it because when you're queer you have to come out a lot, right? Like you have to come out repeatedly and I get fairly common responses, right? I get two responses on the reg. I'll say I'm dating a lady, I'm dating a woman and people will say, eh, uh, no.
7: <laughs>
3: I say I'm dating a woman, that's my girlfriend, they'll say, nope. <laughs> I know, no. No. Your hair is too long, so uh, you can't argue with science, can you? Fair enough, that's right. Yeah. But no, I will say the best response I've ever had is when I came out to my mum, right? Because my mum has a unique way of both being supportive but also making things weird. So my mum just waited for my dad to leave the room and then she said, uh, me too.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's not what you want to hear, is it? <laughs> I mean, she's a nice Irish lady, so she did clarify, right? She said, you know what, Catherine, I'm not gay, right? I'm not gay, I'm not gay. Because straight people like to say that in threes, like they think it's some sort of protective spell, don't they? <laughs> but she said, I'm not gay, right? And it's not that I'd leave your father for a woman, I wouldn't. And it's not even that I'd want something bad to happen to
7: him. <laughs>
3: No, I don't, right? It's just that were he to die, then I would be with a woman. (laughs) Her first words of comfort, right? Because like, best case scenario, I think my mom's saying one of two things there, isn't she? She's either saying, oh, I'd have to be depressed to be a lesbian, right? Or she's saying, I've waited for one of my children to come out to say, I regret all of
5: my life choices. (laughs) That was Catherine Bohart on the stand-up sketch show, which you can watch on catch up on ITV Hub. Edie spoke to her after stalking her on an open
6: mic show. You can picture me, right? Like I was standing there waiting for her to come out, and I literally rugby tackled her. Like, hi, hi! Really want to interview yeah, for yeah. our podcast,
5: which is about the sustainable development goals. Of course, <laughs> no,
6: exactly. It's not about really anything that you normally <laughs> really talk related. about, but you are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what I loved about your show was that you were sort of smashing up against all kinds of stereotypes about sexuality, about women, about mental health. So I wonder if breaking down stereotypes is part of your agenda or if, in fact,
3: you were just looking for a more flexible job. I guess there's like two distinct aspects of that the first in terms of in doing doing comedy no let's be like totally honest I did it because I wasn't a very good actor and I thought I might like it and then I absolutely loved it in terms of my material though and, and I do think there's something about like just being a woman who's queer and talking about that who where even if you don't like unpick stereotypes you have the advantage of already challenging stereotypes because you don't as I've often been told when I get to clubs, look like a comedian. And that in of itself is challenging for people, which is good. I do think that like the portrayal of lesbianism is often so singular or maybe that's not even true. Maybe like it's, because queer people have a largely varied output. I think it's that people interpret lesbianism as like short hair, shirt wearing masculine presenting women and actually one that's great two straight women can present those ways three not all of us look the same no more than with straight people bi people gay people we all you know it's like almost like um your sexuality isn't an aesthetic or it can be if you want it to be but it doesn't have to be and uh yeah i just think people have a very binary sense of what queerness looks like I like to play with stereotypes I like to unpick them, I like to upend them I like to use them I like knowing what people think what they see when I come on stage because that's the only way I can play with that if I'm like fully acknowledging that people see a young, femme girly girl so I, I do play with stereotypes and it is intentional but That's also because that's what I'm interested in, and it's almost harder not to as a female stand-up right now because that's what the world is challenging at the moment. It's hard not to be interested in and engaged by that.
6: What topics do you think audiences respond to, or does it depend on the venue and the night?
3: It definitely depends on the venue and the night, like if I go to Brighton, hello gender and queer theory. If I go to Belfast, the stuff about religion resonated much more. Uh, but I, I, to be honest, I try not to second guess audiences because I've been wrong so often, like I've rocked up a place so many times and been like, they're gonna hate me and then being like, oh, I, I, I prejudge them, not the other way around. But I will say the one that university people find hardest to laugh at is probably the mental health stuff. But that's just because I come at it from quite a serious, like I say, I have this illness, I was in hospital, so it's the real kind, and so people go, whoa, that's heavy duty, and then you have to give them lots of permission to laugh. But that's fun too.
6: I mean, I feel like the attitudes towards mental health have changed in the last couple of years, but it's almost a kind of daily, Battle and it isn't something that people are still, I think, very happy with talking about on a personal level.
3: Yeah, and I get that because it's so interwoven with guilt and failure and vulnerability. And but I I, I do think that's changing, and I think people are more understanding of it. I guess. That's why I like joking about it because I think it's a good way of explaining. The one thing I think we're still really struggling with is asking questions. Like we make a lot of generalizations and the thing about mental health is it's so personal and so specific. So without being like encouraging extreme rude or nosiness, I think allowing another person to explain to you what they mean about their mental illness or their mental health specifically to them is really important.
6: I had such a great time watching Catherine on stage and getting to know her a little bit during the interview. It is really fun listening to her talk and Gnome too. And they're both busting stereotypes about their looks. Apparently they don't look like a comic or
5: a Jew. Or gay. I face this in my own life. I am Mexican. I'm six feet tall. I'm Jewish. I live in America, and or you know, I have curly hair, and then people treat me with less respect. As in, like when I am straight hair, people take me more seriously.
6: And when we come back, another bias buster: a comedian from India who shows us how intolerance and bigotry can find their roots in the same places as great jokes and how you choose to use your experience and your words can make a
5: world of difference. But first, we'd like you to meet a remarkable executive from our sponsor, MasterCard. Talk about breaking stereotype city. She is an engineer and the first ever woman to work a North Sea oil rig.
0: My name's Anne Cairns, and I'm the executive vice chairman of MasterCard.
6: Tell me a little bit about your path to getting here, because it wasn't entirely straightforward, was it?
0: No, indeed. I grew up in a small mining village in the north of England. I was about 11 years old when the first man landed on the moon. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to be an astronaut? (laughs) I think that was my first thought about that I wanted to be in the science field. And subsequently, I studied pure maths at university and became a research engineer.
6: And tell me about that, was that difficult? Was it odd, were you one
0: of many women or just a few women at the time? Well, actually I was the first woman ever recruited into the research station in Newcastle. And I actually thought once I was there that I would love to work offshore. And I became the first woman to work offshore in Britain as well.
6: Did anyone ever tell you you can't do this or did you have an internal
0: drive that made you think it doesn't matter what other people think? I always felt that if I wanted to do something, I could reach out and ask for it. My dad was always very supportive of anything that I wanted to do, and when I wanted to move offshore, I actually just rang the head of offshore engineering at British Gas and told him that's what I wanted to do. And he said, you do realise you'll have to do an offshore survival course, where basically you escape from helicopters that are sunk in pools. They throw you into the North Sea. You put out kerosene fires. And I said, well, that's just the fun part. <laughs> um, <laughs> so actually I did that um, off the coast of Yarmouth in April, which was freezing. And at the time they gave me a man's suit because they never had a woman offshore. And when they threw me into the sea, I nearly died of exposure because all the water poured into the back of the suit because I had oh, a kind of elfin sized face at the time in my 20s and it just didn't fit properly so i had to have one made subsequently all of these things that you actually never think about But when I was working on the on the rigs in the North Sea and the Irish Sea, I made some good friends because many of the guys out there who are out there for two weeks at a time were doing things like open university degrees or practicing for the London Marathon by running around the helipad and so on. So there's quite a lot of sort of social engagement and activity and good chats that we had when we were working there.
5: Hedy, what's up with those women at MasterCard? First Shamima Singh, now Aunt Kearns. Like, do you have to be fabulous and super cool to work at MasterCard? Like, so
6: cool. We're going to hear more about her work at MasterCard and how MasterCard is furthering financial inclusion. But they are super cool, and I would like to have dinner with them,
5: yeah. actually. Yeah, let's, let's be friends. That's it. Decided. <laughs> and you don't know us, but we are we love you. We want to have dinner but with we you. we are your new
6: besties. More from MasterCard later. But now for another stand-up comedian, Sindhuvi.
4: I'm a comic in London, and I was born and raised in India, but I've lived in London for 22 years, and this is where I came up in comedy. It's very much my comedy home. But your name, first of all, isn't Sindhu V, right? No, uh, no, no. My first name is Sindhu, Yeah. but my surname is Venkat Narayanan, which is just absurd. You can't go to open mic night and be like, hey, that's my name. First of all, no one will give you a spot. And even if they do, by the time they've said your name, (laughs) your time is up. Your three minutes are up. This episode is about breaking stereotypes. Yes. And I wonder if you feel like you do. Do you break stereotypes? (sighs) You know, I'm told all the time that I do. Okay. So I guess, yes, I'm I'm told that. It comes up, you know, like someone will come and ask me to do a set at a girl's school. And what do you think those stereotypes are? I think one of the big ones is that I'm a brown woman Mm -hmm. raised in India. And sometimes it's that I've married outside my culture, which really in this day and age for Indians is really not that big a stereotype, but okay, fine. Some people think, oh, you're a woman in banking. That's a stereotype. For some people, it's a brown woman in banking. And I feel like saying, do you know how good we are at math? There's a lot of women from Asia who are in banking precisely because our skill set, not mine, I was rubbish at math, but you know. Often the stereotype you're breaking is from the gaze of the person who thinks you're breaking it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I, I can understand it. I think the biggest stereotype is a mother in comedy. And then the other thing with small kids is they're so easy to manage because you just lie to them. Like, they don't know anything, you just don't have to really deal with them, you know? Like, my youngest kid, she's, I don't know, five or six or something, anyway... um, She said to me on the way to school, and we were trying to get out the door, and she said to me, Mama, 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 when I grow up, I want to be a mermaid. And I was like, that's great, well done. Because I'm not having the fucking conversation at 7.30 in the morning. Like, great job, you'll do so well. Um, And then she was like, no, no, but Mama, where? Where? How? And I said, you'll go to Mermaid University. <laughs> well, what does she know, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so she said, but where is that? And I was like, um, Australia. Because I don't know, like fishy shit is always happening in Australia, right? <laughs> people getting eaten by sharks, or whatever. I was like, Australia. And then of course I did what a lot of parents do. I said, you can ask your teacher about it. And then we left. <laughs> Like, you know, I'm not getting paid to do that. Anyway. um. You know, I had a very unconventional, along so many different dimensions, life growing up, always on the outside of whatever experience was going on. And that's very hard to feel that it's familiar. Mm you have never seen it before. You're different. You're not like anyone else. So do you think that makes you better on stage? Because you feel like you've been an outsider before or... I don't know if it makes me better, but I think it gives me a natural skill in viewing the interaction of my life with the wider world as an outsider, which is really where jokes live. Jokes live in that space between seeing something as familiar and knowing that there's parts of it that are... It's being able to capture what's universal in a very unique way that people haven't thought about before, and that's really an outsider's gaze. I think I do have that skill thanks to my upbringing and I've learned to hone it. Because often I'll have an intuition and I'll not put it out because I'll think about it and I'll say no, 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 no. And I think that's what that thing I'm doing inside, outside, you know. It also makes me very non-judgmental because when you've been an outsider, you're usually being judged. Mm. And the great thing about stand-up is the joke is, a good joke is really always on you. You're always the butt of the joke.
5: Edie, for me, this is the ultimate We Are All Human episode. Comedy puts everyone on the same level. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're tall or small, if you're Republican or Democrat. Jokes and comedians make you laugh in a way that puts everybody in the same playing field. And I love that. And I love that we took on and explored the angle of comedians, who, by the way, imagine all of a sudden, they are in a position as in being surprising activists, mm. where they have the power to break stereotype xenophobia without planning it, or without actually being conscious that they are doing it just because they are funny and sometimes they create or they break stereotypes. I did
6: some homework, Claudia, and I want to say that I found at least three goals that talk directly about knocking down bias. Increasing understanding, reducing intolerance. Number five, gender equality. And of course, we're putting this out during March, which is the month at which we're focusing on gender equality. Number 10, reduced
5: inequality. International Women's Day. Exactly. And number 16, peace and justice. And I think that those are great, number five, number 10, and number 16. But at the end of the day, if you have a world that is accepting, tolerant, and open to everyone without a lot of racism and discrimination, you will be affecting all of the goals. Laughter is one of the five universal connectors. Regardless of where you are from, you care about that universally.
6: So not to put you on the spot, but what are the other... Universal connectors.
5: (laughs) Well, we did a project when I was working for refugees. We did a project with TED, TED Talk, using the five universal connectors, which are laughter, because, again, regardless of where you are, that's something that is common and everybody enjoys and connects to us. And number two is music and dance. Number three is hope for your children. Number four is you care about the health of your parents. And the number five, the number five, wait a second, number five. I. I actually don't remember number five. I only remember that when I was discussing this many, many years ago with my young brother, he said that now you're missing one universal connector, which is everybody actually looks at the toilet after going to poo-poo. Oh, my God. (laughs) He said that basically, regardless of whether you're the Queen of England, everybody actually (laughs) turns back and sees before flushing. Okay. Well, that is seriously bringing the tone
6: to a different place than I was going to, because I was going to talk about my (laughs) favorite new television show, which is Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, Oh, you've been
5: talking about it. Tell me.
6: Okay. So it's an incredible show. Back in 1959, a woman breaking into the men's club of stand-up comedy. And what I loved about interviewing these comedians is that I kept on thinking, here we are 60 years later. There's no shortage of female comedians around, but there are still plenty of barriers for them to break. So I feel like now is a good time for our facts and actions. What do you think? Awesome. So we're delighted to have one final comedian here to share her
8: facts and actions with you. E.D. and Claudia, it's wonderful to be here. My name's Julia Streets and I'm an entrepreneur in the world of financial services. I'm a stand-up comedian and I'm very proud to have a podcast called Diverse City Podcast all about diversity and inclusion in financial services. Three facts. My first fact, which really surprises me, particularly as a gay woman in the city who spent 20 years of my career thinking, please don't ask me what I did at the weekend, is I was really surprised by Stonewall's data recently that says that 62% of all millennial graduates who are LGBT plus go back into the closet as they enter the workforce. My second fact is regarding ethnic minorities. There's a report that came out last year called the Minority Report that said that of 2.5 million sample size, 46%, which is nearly half of all respondents, had been encouraged into a career that did not reflect their own personal career aspirations. I'm particularly thinking about mental health, and I'm not sure whether you're aware, but one in eight days of sick leave can be directly attributed to mental health. On the podcast we've now interviewed, it must be about 80 or 90 leading lights from business leaders and diversity and inclusion specialists. And these are my three actions. One, embed the conversation about diversity inclusion into a commercial imperative. We need the skills, we need the talent, and this is going to drive better outcomes and better performance. The second is to support and support needs to go to the middle management layers. And if you've been hired in a certain way, trained in a certain way, motivated and paid in a certain way, of course, you're going to always do the same thing. So that my whole point to diversity inclusion specialists and organisations is support to them to take the step, take courage to employ people who are very different from them. So my third is about calling out. And every organization, if they want to truly embrace diversity and inclusion, but also to drive performance, have highly motivated teams that are all delivering better outcomes, is about creating true call-out cultures so that certain behaviors will no longer persist.
5: That was Julia Streets. The cousin of Robert Rhodes. <laughs> This is a comedy episode. That was my joke. So what's yours? Because we're moving into stand-up comedy, Edie, in order to sponsor the Global Goals (laughs) Cousins.
6: So my joke is specially made for you because I know that you used to live in Switzerland, right? So what's the best thing about Switzerland? Do you know? The milk? (laughs) I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. (laughs) Okay, that was a good one. So now we want to remind you to follow us on social media at Global Goals Cast. Like, subscribe, download, and rate us
5: with five stars, by the way. Your recommendation does matter, so please do it. We are doing this show to improve the state of the world. You can do your part in rating us so that we can keep doing just that. Earlier, we introduced
6: you to the executive vice chair of MasterCard. We heard how Anne Cairns was the first woman to work in the North Sea. Now we want you to hear how she looks at inclusion in the financial world.
0: One of the things that's really hampering for women, actually, is that they can't get collateral. In many places, they can't inherit property. And although I grew up loving pride and prejudice, that was a story based on the fact that these five girls were going to be penniless because their father couldn't pass on the estate to them. Makes a great story, but I don't think any of us would want to be Elizabeth Bennett today.
6: And tell me how you see MasterCard making a real change, making a a difference in this aspect.
0: Well, I know that we've been working around the world to bring in uh, about 370 million people into the financial system since we started. And in order to do that, we have to build whole ecosystems. We have to work with governments, we have to work with other global companies, we have to work with local companies on the ground, and we actually have to work with people, explaining to them how to use our products and services, how to run their businesses in a digital way, and so there's a lot of education involved on the ground.
6: And tell me about how the pace of change makes that challenging or an opportunity.
0: I think there's a big opportunity in developing countries because they don't have the infrastructure that we have here in the Western world with all of the machines and the computers and so on. So everything goes mobile very quickly. And you start to solve things in a very simple way because you're trying to help people who are living on one or two dollars a day. And so you're trying to come up with a solution that's very inexpensive and can reach a mass amount of people and sometimes in very remote areas. Give me an
6: example of where you've seen real change happen like that.
0: So some great examples of where I've seen inclusion working. Uh, First of all, in Egypt our money payments, the government actually intervene in this. They collect the money from the men and they have the women queuing to actually receive the cash. And we've automated that process now so that women can receive that money digitally. I think that's quite a change and I'm looking for other examples around the world where we could help women in this way. So that's the first one. The second is I've been involved in a project that actually uh, we've been doing in Kenya and Tanzania where we've been building a solution in our labs in Kenya that we set up with the Gates Foundation. And we built a product that allows farmers to sell their sunflower oil online. Well, it could be any farming product, but we'd actually found an entrepreneur in Tanzania who would pay female farmers slightly more to encourage them to actually adopt selling their product online. And the thing is, they can do it on any type of phone, but they get real-time prices, and obviously it gives them a better access to market without involving all of the middlemen. And that product was built by Africans, for Africans in our labs in Kenya.
6: Thank you to MasterCard and to Anne Cairns for being with us, and thank you to you, all of our listeners as well. Thank
5: you for being with us. Adios! (laughs)
3: Music in this episode was by Andrew Phillips, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Krohn, Amy Edwards, Ashish Pillowal, Alex Vallejo, and Ellis. This episode was made possible thanks to the support of MasterCard, CBS News Digital, and Harman, the official sound of Global Goalscast. This episode would not have been possible without Keith Reynolds, founder and president of Spoke Media, who lent us his ear.
1: 18 plus.